Busy show here, Flip. We got a lot going on in Yankee Land. Why don't you tell the listeners what they'll expect? We have a cornucopia of interesting Ooh, things going on here. Cornucopia. We just do. Another successful season for the New York Yankees, and our very special guest will be manager Aaron Boone. Let's get to it. All right, Flip, let's jump right into the Yankees conversation. We saw a lot of returns this week. One of them was Luis Severino. What did you see from him? Well, 67 pitches, I thought, for especially given this was his debut. It was his season debut. People forget that, but it was. I thought he was terrific. I mean, he throw, he had everything working for him. His fastball had life. Uh, his slider had tilt. I thought his changeup, uh, the, the, the couple of changeups he threw, I thought were extremely effective. I thought he had uh, every, everything going for him. And co- again, considering this was his first start, maybe a little a little command here and there. But I mean, that, that he'll, that'll get straightened out because it was very little. And uh, uh, he's got a couple of starts left before he's, he's stretched out. But he's well on the way to being stretched out. Given where we are on the calendar, is there enough time to figure out if he's really back in time for the postseason? I th- yeah, I think there is because I think the most important thing is he woke up the following day and didn't have any pain. Once you could say, I wake up, uh, he woke up and he didn't have pain, that's a lot because that's the one thing that would have been a, a, a red flag. But he threw, he threw hard, he threw well, and uh, woke up pain-free. So that's a really good sign. And there's enough starts left. It's two or three starts he's going to have to stretch him out to 90, maybe even 100 pitches. But you know, you lose, you add about 10 pitches per start, depending, something like that. So if he did 67, next time out, maybe he shoots for 77. Next time out, he shoots for 90. I, he's close. He'll be, he'll be stretched out or pretty close to it. The good news is I liked what I saw. You liked what you saw. And we'll actually get to find out what the manager thought of it. We have Aaron Boone later on. That's a big get. Oh, he's a great guest. Uh, I mean, he's uh, he's uh, well versed in in, uh, in baseball. I mean, he grew up in a baseball baseball royalty, if you will. His family was baseball royalty, the Boone family, having had a grandfather and a father and a brother who played major league baseball beside himself. So there's a lot there's a lot of uh, interesting lineage there. And uh, he's a great communicator, and he knows the game, and he's just a fun fun interview. He will be a fun interview. You're right. Um... Before we move on, I do want to talk a little bit more about returns. I want to talk about Giancarlo Stanton a little bit. Um, but before we do, let's uh, set the table a little bit. I'm Kevin Sullivan. I'm from the Yes Network Digital Department. Um, just in case, you know, we do these every week, and I don't think anyone knows who we are, right? No, it's true. We usually don't ID ourselves, but, you know, I guess it's important that people know something about us and you know, what our names are, I guess that's important, besides our nicknames. Well, less so me, more so you, right? So Mr. John J. Filippelli is the name you hear at the end of Yankees broadcasts. With how many decades of experience? A lot. I mean, I started <laughs> in the 70s, so, you know, how many decades is that? 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and the fifth decade. I was born in the 70s. That's 1870. I was born in 1870. So, <laughs> so I've been around a long time. Five decades. So that's a long time. It's a long time. So that's who we are. We talk about the Yankees. We talk about uh, the broadcast, sports broadcast business in general. Obviously, we have a lot of experience in that. You obviously, we bring we bring a lot to that because uh, that's our area. That's our major, if you will. That was our major. We st- we've studied it. We've uh, had c- careers in it. Uh, we've been around a long time. We have a lot of interesting friends, and uh, we've been able to attract a lot of uh, good guests because of our relationships. So that comes with experience and and a certain respect factor. We've been able to hopefully have built up over the years. And we also have experience with the Yankees. We've been in and around the Yankees team for many years. You have a PhD in the Yankees practically. So let's jump right back to the Yankees, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about Giancarlo Stanton a little bit. He returned on Wednesday night and promptly doubled. Looked good, right? 
Yeah, he looked. He he did look good. If you had said to me coming out of spring training that he'd have seven games under his belt or eight games under his belt and getting to the middle of September, I would have said, that's like, wow, that's probably not good for the Yankees. But, I mean, and Severino made his t- debut, you know, the other night as well, and judges played half a season. We can go on forever with all the the, the trials and tribulations and, 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 and as vis-a-vis injury that the Yankees have had to overcome, and they have overcome them. So, I mean, they've gotten great performances from the players, below them that they've been able to bring up through the system and, and sign as free agents who've made tremendous contributions. But getting these veterans back, uh, getting these experienced players back, they're not all veterans, getting experienced players back at this juncture, enough, you cannot say enough how important that is. Same question to you that I asked you about Severino. Uh, are we going to know if he's ready for the postseason, given that the calendar is there's only a few games left? Uh, yeah, I mean, he, there's enough. He'll get enough at bats. I mean, the Yankees, you know, uh, are top the American League East again, so the games will be of less consequence than well. You'd like to have home field because home field may loom really large in these playoffs. But I mean, I think the most important thing is to get people ready for the postseason and to make sure they're healthy. So I think he will get enough at bats. I mean, just think about it. There's at least two weeks of the season left, right, or something like that. So he should get enough at bats. They'll play him pretty much every day. And I would think heading into the postseason, they need him to be an outfielder, right? He can't DH knowing that you might have Encarnacion coming back. Well, they've got, they've got, let's just put it this way, they've got other bats they want to work up in the lineup, and the other bats who they work in are not as strong defensively. I, I, I think that uh, obviously Stanton's suit is his offense, and defense, he, you know, he could, he could play the game. But, uh, but in terms of actually playing people every day, the Yankees could use that DH spot and sort of sp- spread around, if you will, to get other people at bats who are important to the team and to the lineup. So we're both high on the returns of Severino and Stanton. I'm bullish, if you will, on that. Um, unfortunately, Dellen Betances' return didn't go as well, which is tough to see given he really worked hard to come back and then only that one inning. Well, he did work hard to come back, but, you know, and the Yankees would have loved to have added that another piece to the depth of that bullpen to get that curveball in there would have been great. But the fact is it didn't work out for them, but he had not been with them most of the season. So not to say that that mitigates the loss, but the Yankees have a pretty strong bullpen. Having him would have just been another luxury, another cherry on top of the cake, if you will. But it didn't work out that way. But, I mean, um, to me, as much as that, that stings, the fact that Seve pitched so well has got to be so encouraging for the Yankees and their chance to win a world championship. Yeah, I don't disagree, but I want to stick with Patances real quick because for me, uh, given, again, what he went through to get back to the mound and then to see him only pitch that one time and then go down with the injury was, was heartbreaking. I would describe it as heartbreaking. And I want to real quick uh, play this piece of audio for you, Flip. It's uh, Zach Britton reacting to the injury. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, spoke to him quite a bit before the game, um, and then a little bit during the game. So, um, man, it made me it made me nauseous when I was thinking about it. Um, tough for him with everything that he's done this year to get back to us. Um, so, yeah, it was tough. Flip, that's coming from somebody who really understands the Achilles injury. Zach Britton obviously went through a similar thing, and I thought it was pretty powerful to hear him say how nauseous it made him. Yeah, I think part of the the nauseousness is that, you know, there there's a guy who worked the entire, he's worked so long to get back, and he finally makes it back in the middle of September with the hope that he could really give the Yankees a potent potent weapon, another potent weapon in October, and then to have his season just end after seven, I think it was seven pitches he threw, and that was it. So I mean, I think the frustration that comes with working so hard to come all the way back. 
and get back in the big leagues. And then Vitor had come off that first appearance, which again only seven pitches, but he looked great for seven pitches. Began trying to give him some some pitches so he could sort of make his way back with a workload. Um, didn't it didn't pan out? So I think part of it is the frustration and also the the empathy you have for a friend because Britain and and Batanzas are friends, and you know so obviously there's fr- empathy from one friend to another there. Yeah, absolutely. The good news is Britain was able to return from this injury. We hope uh, Batanzas can as well. We wish him the best. Uh, but let's move on a little bit. I want to get into one of the segments that we used to do on Facebook Live. I miss it. It's called dot 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 etc etc. Remember that? Yes, I do actually. Because you I named it. What- I did. It was uh, after naming my two children. This was the biggest name of my life. So I'm very excited by this. I don't know. The Facebook Live show had about 12 different names. So. It did, actually. It did. We couldn't really figure it out. But at the end, we got rolling. And then it was like, then we decided, let's do a podcast. Yeah. And, and I like it. I do. I'm very happy with this. Hope you are too. You know, if other people, like <laughs> that's called a segue in the business. If yeah. other people like it, they can rate, review, and subscribe. That's how you really help us. So I could, I could actually listen and rate, review, and subscribe myself. If, again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dot, dot, dot. I want to know about Yelich and Trout. You, they're both down, um, so they're going to be out of action the rest of the way, but can they still win the MVP? Well, they were they were both in, in sort of uh, sort of tight races, if you will. Uh, well, let's just put it this way. They were the front runners in, in both races, and depending on how everybody else uh, in the field performs the last – you know, ten days of the season will might write that script. Uh, it would have been interesting for Trout only because he's he's historically he's won like two. This he's won at least two, and he's finished second about three or four times, and he finished I think fourth once. So he's always been in the top five, and usually he's in the top two. So I mean, and he would have been by, by the way, no matter how this shakes out, the worst he could finish is second. So he's got. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And again, you have to define MVP again yes. because that becomes an yes. interesting. That's obvious. a problem. Both team, well, the the Brewers are obviously in the middle of it because they have a chance to be a wild card, and but they played great since Yelich has been out. So obviously, the loss of Yelich has not really affected them to to this point. That should say that it won't going forward, but it hasn't to this point. They're really locked in a race here, and the Angels are really locked in sort of very little. Uh, and that you shouldn't penalize Trout because the team doesn't perform anywhere near the level, obviously, that he performs. So you shouldn't really penalize him. But they should really think about it. There should be a— Just define a, it. Well, there should be a most valuable player and a player of the year. Yes. I mean, if they did it like that, and that way you'd create another award that was probably, you give the player of the year an award to someone whose team doesn't really come close to the playoffs, but they had a great year and they deserve recognition. And the MVP should actually go to to someone who's on a team that, you know, is in contention, winds up in the playoffs, does something, and and their performance underscores what the team has done. Yes, or or just be consistent with what the award is. But I like your idea, you know, because you have, in 1987, Andre Dawson win it on the last place Cubs. He was obviously the best player, but he wasn't valuable to his team. And, and Ripken won it too. Ripken won it one year where the team finished dead last, and he was the MVP. So you're the MVP of on a dead last team. And again, that's not to say he didn't have a great year. He had an exceptional year. But did he really deserve to be the most valuable player because the team didn't go anywhere? So that's what it made more sense. See, right there, a player of the year and an MVP would really, that split, that dichotomy would have been, I think, uh, served baseball well. Let's start a movement. Hashtag define MVP or something on Twitter that we could get going. Since you're the Twitter expert, see, you, you major in that social media. I'm not big in a, it's not my major in life. All right. So if everybody tweets us, we're at curtain call yes, 
just tell us your opinion. Then next week we'll uh, we'll figure something out. Maybe a, a go. What's what's the polling engine? Uh, poll Daddy. We'll do a poll. We'll do something. A Twitter poll. How's that? I like that. Is that a novel? Is that like a new concept? No, no, no. Let's switch gears a little bit. I want to look at the uh, wild card picture in the American League. Uh, we're basically down to three teams: the A's, the Rays, and the Indians. But there are only two spots. Who are you get? Who are you picking? A's and Rays. A's and Rays. Both dangerous in a postseason. Obviously, if they do, if it is the two, if it is the two of those teams, they're both dangerous in a postseason. The A's to me are particularly dangerous. They just are, and they're sneaky good, man. The A's are sneaky good. They people don't recognize them as but anywhere near as much as they should, because they play in Oakland on the West Coast. People don't see them. I'm telling you though, that Chapman at third, Olson at first. They got some interesting pitching. Uh, Simeon at shortstop. They got some players. That team has got some players, and they're they're always in. And they're very they're very well managed. They know the game, and uh, they may not have a lot of depth. But they got some. They got a quality lineup and and a, and a pretty interesting pitching staff. I would be leery of playing them if I was in a playoff. All right, I'm gonna pick the A's and Rays too. I know that doesn't make for good podcasting, um, but I will agree with you. That is bad luck for them both because I also picked the Red Sox a couple weeks back. But here's the good news: like one of them is bound to make it. <laughs> right. 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 So there's I'm only gonna... three teams yeah. in. I mean, you didn't pick the Indians, so. Pick those. So one of those two teams has to make it. Yeah, you're true. You know what? If I'm the Indians front office, though, I am nervous for my longevity, right? After this past offseason, mm-hmm. they basically stripped the team think, thinking that they were just going to win the Central. And now they won't even make the postseason. Well, we don't know that they won't make the postseason. They, they have a shot. I mean, they have a shot to make the postseason. But but you know, right now, I'd say that they might be the odd team, the odd team looking in, you know, the outside looking in. But... But they've, you know, they've done an interesting job there. You're right. They didn't really think it was going to be their year for, for a variety of reasons. And they got off to a bad start. They didn't play well at all. And the Twins looked like they were running away with it, rampaging through it. And then, I don't know, the Indians just kept play, started playing. And they started you know, chiseling the lead, kept a game here and a game there, a game there. And all of a sudden, they turned around and they, they were like right there. So the, the Indians have a very interesting ball club. Again, two only two of these three teams is going to make it, and I'm with you. I think it's the I think it's the A's and, and the uh, and the uh, Rays. Speaking of the postseason, how important is home field advantage for the Yankees? Well, I'm not going to mitigate it. It's important. It's important. It'll be particularly important to me, at least the way I look at it, if they wind up playing the Astros, and that could be where they wind up playing. Because the Yankees seem to obviously play really well at Yankee Stadium, and the Astros play really well in, in, in Minute Maid. So, if you start looking at it from that, from what history suggests, there, remember the last time the Yankees played, every game the Yankees won was in the was at the stadium, and every game the Astros won was in Houston. So, if if you think that that could repeat itself, and it very well could, then home field is very important. But but at the end of the day, I think health. Truthfully, the Yankees have to make sure their health is right. They've got all their pitchers, everything lined up that they need lined up. They should be able to do that because you know they're atop the American League East, and there's I mean, so they're there. So I don't see any reason why they couldn't use the next. I mean, they can play who they want to play, but it, it, that's if you could see if you say health is more important to me than anything else. You could actually take a little breather and and start preparing and not worrying so much about we got to win these games, so we got to get a home field, got to win these games. That's a lot of pressure to put on yourself after you've you've you know you've won the American League East. Are you ready for the history of yes segment? I could be, depending on what kind of questions you ask me. Well, they're always thought provoking. They they're are always pretty right? interesting. 
My mind's working overtime over here. Okay. As usual, if you're a new listener, um, I don't tell Flip what we're what I'm gonna ask him. He did. We do have production meetings. He doesn't know anything I'm about to ask him though. Uh, so I urge you to go back into the uh, library of shows. We've talked about Mike and the Mad Dog. We've talked about Mike Francesa, Michael K. We've talked about uh, history of the pitch count. Um, but this week I want to center talk stage. We did center, center stage. stage. History of center stage. There's a lot of good nuggets in there. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely urge you to go listen to that. This week I want to talk about Yankees classics. Mm-hmm. Yankees classics. Right. Now, Yankee so, classics. Mm-hmm. Um, not a not an industry breaking idea. No offense. Um, no, none taken. But. What I'm really curious about are where'd you get the rights to some of these, right? Because we started in 2001, and there's shows from the 70s, games from the 70s. I'm seeing. Uh, well, uh, the rights actually, because of the copyright that's read, uh, the, the rights, all these rights revert back to Major League Baseball. Okay, so they have the rights to you know, every game that's sort of ever been played. The, the problem is you had to find copies of some of these games. Now you're going to say. Well, why is that a problem? There's, I'm sure there's copies that exist. Well, if you go back and you and you sort of look at the tape libraries of of the of the networks or the local stations, what they would traditionally do is take a game, they'd record it, and then they'd oh we uh, okay that's it we, we we erase the tape and that's that we don't use we don't need it again why would we need the game again, which is really in hindsight it's ridiculous and you sit there how could anybody think like that? I mean I, when I was at NBC the Jets big win was Super Bowl three as most of you know Joe Namath right I remember going to get try to get a copy of that. That, going down to the tape library at NBC and asking for it, they said, "Oh, we don't have that anymore. We erased it. It's gone. It's gone. It didn't exist. Is it nowhere in the world? To my knowledge, because it's it's on the internet, you could find it. I think what you're seeing on the internet is kinescope. But you know what a kinescope no. is? Kinescope is where you get you take a like a tape of a game and you film it. So what they would do back in the day is right. they would film that and they would send it to usually to the to the troops overseas. They would send them, but they would send it as film. So it became they take a camera, film camera, and they would, they actually film like a television that was running the tape, and that's what, and they would send it overseas. I think when you see it, you're seeing a, a version of kinescope. Oh, you're not right. really seeing the original tape of the show. But anyway, they didn't, they obviously didn't do that with local broadcasts. So the, the fact that a lot of these really good games didn't really exist, and we were fortunate enough to find kinescope copies, is kind of amazing. But we did. We found enough. We didn't find all that we wanted. Some. Very big games that we, we couldn't be found. But we did find, like, say, Gidry's, uh, Gidry's strikeouts, the 18 strikeout game. We did find that. So we found some of them. Uh, and then we, we developed the, the instant classic theory as we all went along. Say, okay, we like this great game, and now it becomes a, a Yankee instant classic. Well, for a while there, the Yankees were like the Harlem Globetrotters against the Nash. <laughs> uh, who was it? The uh, Washington uh, Generals. Generals, yeah. 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 They were undefeated for a while there. But yeah, there are a few were. losses, right? Yeah, yeah. There's, I know that there's two that I could. Th- I can't remember the second one, so I can only name one. It was the Mariano Rivera game when Mariano Rivera's last appearance as a, as a Yankee, uh, and the, the game that Jeter and Pettit went out to sort of take him out of the game. The uh, the Yankees lost that game, so it was usually we would just it's called a Yankee. It became a kind of a self fulfilling parody, if you will. But we would just put it on if the Yankees won the game and. So therefore, no matter what the score was, they're down ten nothing. You could sit there and go, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna really bet the Rams that the Yankees are gonna come back and win this game." I have a strong feeling because it's a Yankee <laughs> classic, right? 
But yeah. it was it's supposed to be a feel good thing as much as it is anything else. But you know, we may as time goes on, we may loosen that because I mean, there's been some really terrific games like the like for instance, 1960 game, the Mazarowski game. The Yankees lost this, uh, that tremendous 10-9 World Series Game 7 to the Pirates. Matt Bill Mazeroski's walk-off homer for Ralph Terry. That would be a great game to see. So many great moments in that game. As someone who's a bit of a baseball historian, I would love to see. But I don't know that it's, it exists innings 1-9. to nine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We had enough trouble finding Larson's perfect game. Try and find, find that. That was not easy to find that. That imagine. didn't exist either. If you find a game like that... yeah. Is it public domain, like those black and white games? You know, it's it's hard to say that it's public domain because it was before the, the copyright. So you could say, I guess, possibly. But there's so few of those. What usually winds up that happens, they're in the hands of somebody because there's, so, there's almost no copies, obviously, or there's one or two copies. And the people that have them are reluctant to give them up. So you have to kind of make a deal. You sort of buy them from the people who have them. So that becomes a whole different, you know, rigmarole. You know, so it's... Uh, None of this was easy, by the way. None of as like my late father used to say, if it was easy, I'd do it myself. You know, so it wasn't it wasn't that easy. But I mean, I thought we put together a pretty interesting library, all things considered. Well, one game that is a classic, without a doubt, is the two thousand three postseason game between the Yankees and the Red Sox. We all know who the hero was that day. We do, Aaron Boone. Aaron Boone. And as luck would have it, who's our next guest? Uh Aaron Boone. <laughs> all right, so let's head right into the break and then we'll be back with Aaron Boone. You know FOMO, fear of missing out on this. Hit in the air, a mile to left. And this. They come all the way back. Or this. The first team to homer in 28 straight games. Let nothing come between you and your Yankees on yes. We're now joined by the manager of the Yankees, Aaron Boone. Aaron, welcome to Curtain Call. Thanks for spending a little time with us. You bet. Good to be on. How does how was it like? How was it growing up with, you know, a dad who was in the big leagues, a brother who we played with the big leagues, a grandfather who was in the big leagues? I mean, the Boone family is one of the great families in baseball. What was it like growing up at that table with you, surrounded by advice and and uh, interesting com- baseball conversation? It was it was great. Um, you know, I tell people all the time. You know, I had the greatest childhood ever. You know, my dad <clears throat> got to the big leagues. Um, in September of 1972, I was born in March of 73, and he retired my senior year. So it was kind of all I knew through my, you know, growing up. And, and I had a dad that that <clears throat> took me and my brothers to, to the ballpark with him all the time. So we were always there and part of – felt like part of the teams. Um, they were there. He played on a lot of great teams. Um, <clears throat> and then – you know, as far as my grandfather goes, he was very much a part of our life, um, you know, in, until he passed away when I was, I believe I was 30-ish at the time, 30, 31, and, and he was a huge part of our life. And, um, you know, to have, you know, I don't, I'm not going to run from a lot of the conversations we had were, were around baseball. I mean, it's it's what we knew. It's what we talked about a lot. Um um, and, and we just, you know, you know, whether it was Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner, you know, those, those conversations I treasured. And then, and then when you go on to make a career out of the game, to have family members and loved ones that can absolutely relate to what you're going through at your job, um, 
was was something that that was valuable to me as well. It's fair to say you majored in baseball. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is. You know, I grew up and and lived the game and loved the game and listened and watched and played and um, yeah, it's it's certainly I feel like in a lot of ways in my blood. You know, it's tough. It's tough to say how this is all going to shake out. Obviously, you have to play the games and. But, you know, at the end of the day, considering all things considered, I mean, you've had 20 different players do 30 different stints on the DL. If I had said to you at the end of spring training, uh, Severino, your, our, our ace, would, uh, you wouldn't see him until the middle of September. Stanton would play seven games until the middle of September. And Dohar wouldn't be on the opening day team because of injury. Uh, Judge would see half a season. We can go on forever with all this. I mean, what, what would your thoughts have been? Um, when you, when you put it like that, if, if it would have been in hindsight like that, it would have been a little bit rough, but, you know, as those injuries happened and trickled in, um, you know, we, we, we felt more and more confident in, in the depth that we had, um, had or acquired or, and, and really started to feel confident in all the people that we brought in, whether it was a, you know, a guy like Cameron Maben from outside the organization that, you know, had almost an immediate impact, whether it was bringing guys up from the minor leagues that in a lot of ways maybe weren't ready, like a Tyro Estrada that came up and had a big time impact, you know, you know, those, those kind of people, um, And, and obviously the list is long and guys that impacted even more um, to a man. Um, you know, we, we, we had a lot of confidence in those guys very early on and not just because we were hoping or just because we were, um, you know, trying to be half full and optimistic. It was because we felt like these guys um, brought something to the table, had a professionalism to them, had the ability to more importantly to to go out and and get the job done and and it's been remarkable how many guys um, have really stepped up in different ways to contribute to us winning a lot of games sticking with the injuries Aaron um, they all obviously hurt but I would think the Dellen Batansis one maybe stung a little bit more given everything he had to go through to get back to the mound am I right um you know, I don't want to take away from anyone else because they all hurt. You know, you, you know, you know how much guys pour into the game. You know how much guys have poured poured into this season um, to have a chance to do something special. So anytime somebody goes down and and you know it's going to be for a while, it hurts. Um, but certainly Dellen um, and you know just how long he's now been in this organization. You know, a homegrown guy from here, beloved in the clubhouse um, has been obviously one of the best relievers in the sport for the last five or six years and you know knowing all he'd been through to get back and and had a really successful debut and looking forward to him uh, having an impact on the postseason roster um, and then to have kind of a fluke freak injury happen to him to to cut his season short um you know, that's where the human part comes in, and you just hurt for the for the player, for the person. And uh, you know, we'll support Dellen. It was great to see him back here. You know, in his walking boot to make sure he saw CC's um, last home start of the regular season. And uh, you know, he was in good spirits, and and he he lights up the room, and guys love him being around. And and I know he'll um, be a factor for us 
uh, moving forward in the playoffs just with his presence. Speaking of CC Sabathia, he pitched in all likelihood his final regular season game on Wednesday night at Yankee Stadium. Uh, how emotional of a moment was that for you and the team? Because you saw all the guys come out of the dugout and give him a big hug. What was that like? Uh, it was really emotional. Um, you know, I, um, as I walked out to the mound, um, you know, I tried to <clears throat> tried to let it breathe as much as I could um, to, to steal a line from your business. <laughs> um, you know, I tried to uh, – kind of milk the moment I guess as much as you could and um to see you know the stadium re- and fans react the way they did um to see his teammates you know we talk about how beloved Dellen is you know the same can be said for CC and to see the guys get up and get to uh send him off and to see his connection to see his family sitting behind home plate um it was it was hard to keep the tears back honestly in that moment um but it's been a it's been a great year of of moments like that um, for for our team and, and kind of watching CC through his final season. Uh, Skip, going from a, a player who is uh, going to be in a Hall of Fame and uh, whose career is is well documented and been incredible, and that would CC, to looking at a young talent like Labor Torres. I mean, does Torres even have a ceiling? Do you see a ceiling there anywhere? I don't know. I, you know, I hate to put that on him. You know, um, we expect a lot of Glaber. He expects a lot of himself. And, and the, one of the great things, attributes that Glaber has, besides being, you know, I think really intelligent, is um, he wants to be great. And you know, it's it's shown up over this last year with with how he worked in the off season to get himself ready, um, and then taking heart you know, all the little things that we constantly challenge him with, um, you know, whether it's Carlos Mendoza, our infield coach, or or myself just having conversations with him, whether it's Marcus and PJ, the hitting guys, you know, just making sure, um, you know, the kind of one of the things I talk to him all, all the time about are um, – you know you're gonna you're gonna show up and you're gonna play in all-star games because you're talented and you're great but i want you to be you know a championship player a difference maker in in every way and that and that goes with how you carry yourself how you conduct yourself in the clubhouse when when people come into the organization what do they see from you how you prepare um how 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 you're paying attention to the small details and in your kind of work behind the scenes and 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 I think that's the thing I'm the most proud of with Glaber. I mean, obviously it's been a great year with the 38 homers and just the consistency he's shown um, at the plate through all our injuries, the ability to play both short and second. But 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 it's the growth that he's had, you know, as a as a defender, um, as a as a as his approach is at the plate um you know his ability to pick things up as a base runner um all those little things um he's he's really continued to improve on the margins and and uh and that's the thing i'm the most proud of aaron you mentioned 38 home runs for glaber torres when you headed into this season you had guys like aaron judge gary sanchez uh, john carlos stanton did you ever in your wildest dreams think Glaber Torres would lead your team in home runs. Um, yeah, I mean, when you put it like that, probably not. Well, we certainly, obviously, coming off a rookie season at 21 last year, where he was able to, you know, hit a lot of home runs. I don't know what he ended up with last year. What 24, 25, probably. Um, 
you know, so it was a great rookie season, and we and you know we got a taste of of the power. And actually, one of my messages to him, you know, before the season started was, you know, challenging him to to be great and be better at all the little things, but don't feel like you got to go out and one up last year or or because you debuted and hit a lot of home runs. Don't doesn't mean you got to go out and hit 35 or 40 this year and then you you end up trying to do things instead of just sort of letting the game come and staying within your approach and when you do all those things the results follow well well he's he's blown past that and and obviously you know has a chance at a 40 homer season while you know keeping his average and on base um really up there and and again i think his approach is is the thing that's been impressive and in how that's continued to grow. Uh, Skip, you had a very successful career as a player, and uh, you went into broadcasting and you had a very successful career as a broadcaster. Why leave broadcasting to return to the field and certainly manage at this point? What was the was there lore in managing that you always wanted to sort of satisfy that and see how you would do, or would the Yankees approach you? You approach the Yankees. What what exactly happened there? Yeah, I, I would say. Um, I loved I loved the broadcasting. Um, it's something that probably, in a way, um, I probably kind of wanted to do all my life. Um, and and there's some footage of me actually when I was in uh, probably junior high school, and my brother was on an all-star tournament. That I was I was actually the broadcaster for our bootleg video, and I'd interview players and all this when I was probably 13, 14 years old. You know, I I was one of those kids that fell asleep at night to to Philly's game, listen to Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn. You know, I listened to the games on the radio, watched every game on TV, and and always had kind of this, um, <clears throat> you know, reverence for 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 broadcasters and and what they brought to the game. Um, so, not that I sought out necessarily to do that, but it was a natural. Um, thing for me to go into I think after my playing career and it was something I really enjoyed and and you know really enjoyed kind of learning and growing at that um and and by the end not that I was done with it or anything like that it was just more I felt myself especially the last couple of years just the game pulling at me a little bit that competitive wanting to get in with a team um you know, I found myself in a way managing all the time from the booth, even though I wasn't, you know, necessarily like I want to go manage. I just wanted to go be a part of uh, being a part of a team and, and, you know, kind of chasing after that prize. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> so I was kind of going to make the move. And then um, I was speaking with some teams about different front office positions and coaching positions. And then, you know, the Yankees called to me a little bit out of the blue and 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 that it all kind of materialized really fast and um you know next thing you know I'm getting ready to move to to the east coast and 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 take on this job that's been um you know so fun so rewarding so challenging and uh but it was more just the game calling and um felt like this is something I wanted to tackle well, it's an interesting challenge and one that you've obviously proved you you're up for. And uh, you know, what is the difference, Skip? What is the difference to you? Big difference between year one uh, on the bench and and calling the shots, and year two. What what's been the big difference? 
I think just overall knowledge, being more comfortable with players, staff, front office, knowing who everybody is, knowing what everyone's role is, um, you know, knowing how I communicate, um, you know, trying to have a, you know, I think at least in my mind, more comfortable and about what I want to do in certain situations. And um, I think just overall, it's just growth. I don't know if there's one specific thing or something that I could articulate that, oh, this is so much different because it's just been a, it's been a never ending um, job on the, on the, you know, learn on the job of that's, that, continued on through the winter that continues to evolve and grow and you know as your relationships and your um you kind of get entrenched more and more in the organization the more and more you you have an idea of of everyone's role and how it all works and how you want to uh handle it all is this season aaron is this season a success only if the Yankees win the World Series. I mean, there's always so much pressure to win the World Series because it's New York and it's the Yankees, and yet so much has been accomplished this year and hundred win another hundred win season and persevering in this in spite of all the injuries and all that's happened and and being so successful. Is it, but is it truly quali- is it a success if we only win the World Series? Having said that, yeah, you know, I, I leave all that kind of to everyone else. You know. Um, our goal is to win a championship. Um, but, you know, a, a season, there's there's small successes and failures and growth all along the way. So, I, you know, I, I don't ever look back and say this was a failure. This was, you know, obviously winning a championship is the ultimate success, and that's what we're all working towards, and, and so many people um, are invested in that. Um and and hopefully we get there. Uh, we certainly feel like we have a team capable of that. Um, but you know how people define it. That's that's I think up to other people and individuals. We're just you know uber focused on on trying to chase down that prize and, and pouring everything we can into it to to give ourselves the best chance. You, you we talked a little before about broadcasting, and I just want to just backtrack on that real quickly. Um, if I said to you and you're a student of the game, if I said mm-hmm. to you one moment in baseball history that you could be, you could be, go back in time, you could be mm-hmm. behind the mic for and be in the ballpark and call that moment or be part of that moment, one moment, what would it be? Um, wow, that's a great question. Uh, I'll answer it two ways. So um, I'd love to be, because I'm nostalgic and, um, I'd love to be in the booth maybe for the 1980 Phillies World Championship, you know, um, growing up with that team and with my dad and a team that in 76, 77, 78 lost in the National League Championship three straight years and didn't make the playoffs in 79 and then, you know, won the World Series in 1980 with, you know, a group that, um, you know, was very close on and off the field um, we were like family, you know, and you felt that. Um, so to so to be able to call that would be great. I always dream about, and um, I'd always love to just go watch a game up close in the stands in different eras and, and probably like the 20s and 30s and then the 50s just to see what it's like, you know, just to see, you know, what my 
takeaways are from the great players of yesteryear and to sit in the audience with a suit and a and a top hat and be part of that crew um that's something i i always kind of think about or dream about um and, and maybe maybe uh maybe in heaven one day i'll get to i'll get to see that <laughs> before we let you go aaron i want to ask you a little bit about luis severino how encouraging was it for you to see what you saw from him earlier this week and how big of a step do you think that was for him as you head toward the postseason? Yeah, I thought it was very encouraging. Um, you know, as I've said a lot, Seve, I feel like over the last six, eight weeks has, since he got on the mound for his first side has, has really been building good momentum. And, and each time is, you know, we've been excited. He's been excited about where he's been at physically and, and, and each step's been a little bit better. And then, you know, each rehab start got a little bit better. And then I felt like the other night it was better, you know, um, for him to come out, you know, there had to be some nerves, obviously he had to be a little more hyped, uh, uh, than normal and to come out and, and have the electricity of his fastball, but the command of it and the ability to stay within his, uh, his, um, his delivery was was really significant. Um, I thought the secondary pitches were much better than than his um, previous times out in his rehab games. Still, still some ways to go there, but I thought great signs. And and I think if you were here or you watched that game on TV, um, you know I, I think if you if you didn't come away anything but encouraged, then then maybe you weren't watching real close. So I know Sevy's in a good place and. Uh, you know, obviously, if we're going to go far in this, he's he's going to play a big role. Uh, Skip, in, in closing, one final question. Um, when you're sitting in a room and you're with Cash and you're with Jim Henry and you're with Tim Nearing and the various other people in the Yankee front office, and you're starting to put together the postseason roster, this is the, you're going to be faced with some really tough decisions. Um, yeah, you know, right now they don't honestly seem, you know, that that tough i mean there's there'll be some some decisions for the maybe final roster spot or two um you know with with how it's looking right now with how we round out our pitching and you know how many position players we go with and things like that so there'll be some small decisions but 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 i feel pretty pretty comfortable that it's shaping up uh you know in a natural way right now and, and who you play obviously will have some effect on the decisions you make. Yeah, that that certainly could factor in, and um, you know, looking forward to getting there. But uh, hopefully, we can go out and uh, and and make sure that's a reality uh, with one more win. It's been a. It's um, speaking for Kevin and I. Just uh, thank you for the season and uh, how great you've been the past two years with us. And uh, you know, you're just a. a easy guy to deal with and you know what you're doing and it's a pleasure to be around you so thank you again for spending a little time with us on Curtain Call yeah it was good being on with you guys take care all right bye bye thanks Aaron another great get by you Flip Aaron Boone he was great wasn't he he's terrific he's such a you know he's such an honest guy Uh, he's been he's part of uh, he won't say this but but we'll, we'll say it he's part of royalty that's baseball royalty I mean you know, his dad was his dad was Bob Boone. His grandfather was Ray Boone. His brother was Brett Boone. I mean, I mean, the Boone family uh, legacy is just incredible in the game of baseball. So you know, he's part of that, obviously, and he's been a player and he's been a manager. And he said uh, he hit that incredible home run off of Tim Wakefield, the 2003 LCS. I mean, he's sort of done it all. 
he has done it all. Uh, we talked about a lot of it, but there were a few things we didn't talk about, right? I had on my list, I wanted to bring up Savages in the Box. We didn't talk about that. Uh, and in interviews, you hear a lot of times, he'll talk about the 2003 home run. Um, why didn't we talk about those? I, th- I think you and I talked about it, and I think the reason we didn't talk about it is that it's so well documented now. Savages in the Box has been sort of an ongoing theme for the season, and uh you know, and I think that to him it's a double-edged sword. I think he appreciated the the response he got in terms of the overwhelming re- sort of respect that he garnered from the from his team for standing up for them the way he did. I mean, he had the respect before. This just reinforced it. So I think that you know we didn't go there for that. And then the other part of it is I think because there was some colorful language because of the heat of the moment things get said. I think that he's a you know God-fearing man. I don't think that was something he wanted to sort of. Uh, he would have talked about it, but we just felt it wasn't necessary given it was so well documented. At the risk of sounding like a homer, um, I have a Savages in the Box t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wear it proudly. Um, I, I really wanted to talk to him about it, but you're right. We had the manager of the Yankees. We should be talking about current events. We should be talking about Severino, Giancarlo Stanton, and the things we talked about. We shouldn't be talking about that home run in 2003. Well, I mean, we, I mean, we could have, and we wouldn't have been wrong if we went down that path. It's just that... You sort of that's the first that's almost the obvious question that everybody asks is the first question and he's only answered it i would think about seven million times by now yeah around there so i mean it just gets all right six million nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine ninety nine and nine tenths of whatever i mean yes you're right but you know but but again i i don't think that you know as we talked about it like i said you and i did talk about this and we talked about savages in the box i don't I just didn't think, and you agreed, I don't really think we needed to go down there because it's been, it's been so well documented, those answers. And we tried to go off the beaten path a little bit with him. Well, he was a great guest. Uh, we've had a long line of great guests. Alex Rodriguez, David Cohn, uh, Chris Mad Dog Russo. And if you do like what you're listening to, if you like this guest list, please tell us. Please rate, review, and subscribe. That really is the best way you can help. Am I right? Absolutely. Uh, we we appreciate your uh, patronage, and we appreciate uh, that you uh, that you have uh, taken the time to spend part of your day or night with us. So thank you very much for that. And while you're at it, follow us on Twitter at Curtain Call. Yes, I am at Sullivan. Yes, are you on Twitter, Flip? I believe I am. Do you want to give your handle? Uh, if I knew my <laughs> handle, I'd give it to you. I believe it's at Flip. Yes, at Flip. Yes, there you go. That's where it is. There you go. For Mr. John J. Filippelli, I'm Kevin Sullivan saying we'll see you next time.